Gravity is everywhere, and eel gonads are only in very particular places. Hi, and welcome to the Meet Your Heroes podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the podcast where we spend hours every week scouring Wikipedia, various websites, to bring you the little-known facts about some of history's most notable people. We tell you their not-so-secret, dirty little secrets. Yeah. Imagine if you just got distracted on Wikipedia about somebody and then started clicking stuff, and like four hours later we're like, oh man, what, where, how did I get to read about this weird fetish? That's that's our show. Right. Surprise, they're a racist. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the subtitle of the show, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Yeah, meet your heroes, they're all racist. Yes, basically. Right. But that's the premise. We tell you the things that history books leave out. And that's what we're doing this week. Again. Again. With consistency. Look at us. This day, like every other day, recording a podcast. Oh, we record a podcast every day? Or you just mean like you don't know what day it is? Oh, yeah. Just totally lost track. Oh, yeah. Both of those. Right. But if you're listening to this on the day that this episode came out, it's Wednesday. (laughs) And if you're listening to this on any of the other days, you're probably very confused by hearing, it's Wednesday. And if you look at a calendar any day while you're locked in your house, you're like, oh, might as well be Wednesday. Might as well be Wednesday. Every day is Wednesday at the Meet Your Heroes podcast. All right. So on this Wednesday, Elliot... Mr. Research himself. Oh, yes. Known for attention to detail. The quality of my Googling. Focus, deliberation, just the picture of research professionalism. I'm glad you're on record saying those things. Who are we talking about this week? This week, our hero is no other than Mr. Sigmund Freud. Ooh, there is no other Sigmund Freud. The father of psychoanalysis. And like six or seven kids, right? Yes, yes, six kids. (laughs) Good. Wow, good trivia. Mm -hmm. Know a lot about Freud, actually. This is one that I am well prepared to have a conversation about. Interesting. Unlike many, many other (laughs) Yeah, every other person we've ever talked about, yes. Okay. Where to begin? Austria. Austria, yes. The year 1856. All right. The 19th century, coming in hot. Never lets us down. It's true. On May 6th, little Sigmund is born, which happens to be... The day this podcast will be... Released. Released. Which is, of course, a testament to our incredible planning skills and not just a totally random coincidence that we're going to take total Mm. advantage of. Mm. Mm. Do we know anything about... uh... His personality based on his birthday. <laughs> He's a Taurus. Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is wait. Not... Is he? Yes. Yes. As a May sixth yes. birthday. He's a Taurus. This is not astrology hour. What okay. we can say definitively though is being a Taurus, it is appropriate because we will find out he is very much full of bullshit. Yes. Um. So he's born. He's the first of the six. Uh, sorry, he's the first of eight kids in okay. his family. Wow. And what's uh, that like? Well, so it's hard he, to imagine having six, seven uh, younger siblings. As somebody who grew up in a big family, yes, <laughs> uh, it's it's big. He he went on record. It's rec- loud. It's so loud. 
All the time. Constantly. Endlessly. Relentlessly loud. Relentlessly loud, yes. Um, he he and his mother had a very special relationship. He was very close to his mother. Uh, and he later in life went on record as saying, uh, when you were incontestably the favorite child of your mother, you keep during your lifetime uh, this victor feeling. You keep feeling sure of success, which in reality, it seldom doesn't fulfill. He's basically saying, I'm just always going to kick ass. I'm always going to be successful because my mom loved me. Not only his mom's favorite, but just feels very good, full of himself because of it. Um, wow. wow. Yeah, so he go, ends up uh, living a relatively happy childhood. Um, he goes to University of Vienna at 17 years old mm. and studies medicine. Mm. He graduates a couple years later. doesn't take long to get through medical school in the 19th century. So <laughs> like three or four <laughs> years later, he's out in labs working and stuff. Um, he spends six years studying crawfish and eels crawfish or crayfish for the less cultured of our audience uh is right this little tiny lobster looking thing he's studying the brains and the neurons actually they don't call them neurons yet but based on his work they're going to figure out oh these are neurons name them later um one interesting weird note so he spends a month looking for the ovaries and or no specifically the testicles of eels yikes unsuccessfully i've literally never before ever in my whole life until this moment thought about the fact that eels potentially have testicles oh well get ready because this is the time for your eel diversion story <laughs> so okay so did you know no okay. i don't know i get, know nothing about eels. I, I happen to know a lot about this uh and i'm i love this story uh for thousands of years pause yeah you know a lot about eel testicles and you never mentioned this i know me? so much about eel gonads yes wow okay so the how the reason is I have to admit uh, this this is story comes from an incredible episode of Radio Lab oh okay. which is a better podcast that you should probably listen to before you listen to ours sure uh, yeah they've got years of stuff and oh, it's like Pulitzer Prize winning it's way better mm -hmm. yeah but okay so so they basically for thousands and thousands of years people were trying to figure out uh, do eels have sex. <laughs> Where do they Thousands come from? Thousands of years. Like, they took Ar a brain Aristotle. Space. Aristotle was like, oh, eels. They fucking? No. They must spontaneously generate from the mud on the beaches because we don't see them fucking. Uh, <laughs> and so that that was like one theory. And are, they, they, are they just observing all the other animal species? Yeah, but like they could never find one they never found eels having sex two sure. they didn't when they looked at the eels they were like there's nothing here to have sex with what are they doing with it so <laughs> and, and so so literally scientists have were cutting up eels from like the time of aristotle oh, no. until like the 15th 16th 17th 18th century 19th century and could not for the life of them find any sex organs i really feel like this speaks to how shitty science was up until then. yeah uh, yes i mean it's true mm -hmm. but here you have like sigmund freud who's going to be like a brain of a generation like you have quote, gravity unquote. discovered before eel gonads yeah well let's be fair gravity is everywhere and eel gonads <laughs> are only in very particular places it turns out. you know what you know what that's fair that's fair um, yeah. Okay. So long story short, if you open up an eel, people were looking for something that looked like ovaries for a long mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. and uh, there's nothing. It turns out the mistake. I'm gonna just give you the advantage Spoiler of thousands alert. of years of science here. Um, they were looking for something that looked like basically a human ovary. Mm -hmm. Eel ovaries look kind of like seaweed because eels 
are like flat and thin and long. And so the mm-hmm. ovaries are like flat and thin and long. Mm. And the testes are apparently very weird, like speckly, cloudy things. I don't know. Anyway, mm. so that, you're welcome, is the eel gonad diversion. Uh, but <laughs> Freud spends a month of his life after college looking for him, can't find him. He's not the one to make this breakthrough. Oh, okay. Um, so he's just cut. So he just had the entire gonad diversion and it. No relationship to Freud. <laughs> Except he, I mean, he spends a month looking. He fails. Listen. That's the kind of content Quality that you get content. at the Meet Your Heroes podcast. After this, he studies crawfish neurons, trying, uh, for six years. And eventually, he gets his full like medical degree and college degree by like 1881. He's 25 years old. He also picks up smoking. He starts smoking cigarettes, but it's going to be important. He, he switches to cigars pretty quickly. Uh, he he didn't start smoking till his twenties. Yeah, that's very late for a nineteenth century uh, medical professional. Yeah, to start smoking. But that's what he does. How else is he going to stay skinny and alert? Yeah, well, it will not serve him well. Oh, bummer. Um, so he's smoking cigars. He gets his job at Vienna General Hospital. Okay, so Vienna General Hospital. He's like a rotating doctor specialist. Like doctor is a pretty fuzzy thing at this point, but you know he's like got a lot of different things he's studying, looking around. And this is when he makes his first big uh, discovery that he is convinced is going to put him on the medical map and as a, like a notable figure in history. He writes this glowing paper about all of the benefits of cocaine. Yes. <laughs> <What>? So <laughs> it's wow. called On Coca. Okay. Uh, he called it, quote, a song of praise to this magical substance. That's a book series for yes, all of right? like white college girls oh my god he's just he's like have you tried this it's basically <laughs> the gist of the paper it's amazing oh my god you gotta try this okay so this paper it is it's bonkers so he starts off he's like got headaches and he takes it for headaches and then migraines he takes it for migraines his indigestion he's like let me try some cocaine <laughs> he's feeling a little depressed cocaine really helps with that turns <laughs> out uh, he's feeling fatigue Take some cocaine. <laughs> Amazing. He's like, I'm no longer fatigued. What is this godsend? So he's just like taking it for all these things. Eventually he notices he's been snorting it. It starts to kill the tissue in his nose, which mm-hmm. of course he treats with cocaine. more cocaine. And he's like, that, that, why not? Um, so <laughs> he just, everything you can imagine, he's taking it and he's like, this is amazing. So he starts writing this paper. Um, I mean, it's easy to write uh, glowing reviews of cocaine when you're on cocaine. Sure. Yeah. And granted, like it was like in some amounts and like this is when coca-cola had some cocaine in it too right sure. so like it was out but he was just like let's take more and let's try it for more stuff oh it's working for this it's it actually how cocaine works for a lot of people turns out yeah you're like oh let me just take more okay so his friend comes to him uh with a morphine addiction and he's Whoops. like you know it would be great to treat this <laughs> cocaine <laughs> you know what happens dies his friend has two addictions oh, no. <laughs> morphine and cocaine he right. his friend does die yes yeah but uh He's like, so you know how he writes this in his paper? He's like, fantastic success. Yes, treated treated a morphine addict. Check. Wow. Total bullshit. Made that up. Wow. Not true at all. Killed his friend. But you know what? Didn't stop him from writing it. It's going to mm-hmm. be a pattern. Okay. Um, so he just, he writes it down. Uh, he, he says in his paper, he did a study on the psychological effects of this and found it was overwhelmingly effective for the treatment group. Do you know who the treatment group was? I can't even imagine. It was him. He oh. loved it. He, was fucking, he did the whole study. He was the whole treatment group. He was like, it's fantastic. He's, He's like, like, sample size one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> sample size. So so what this establishes is that 
if he feels like he's on to something. So he basically made a blog yes. about how much he loved cocaine. Imagine this motherfucker like, just tweeting out, this, this is amazing. You have to try this. <laughs> it turns that into a paper. Okay. So what this means is like, even though he is quote unquote, so he has a medical degree, right? But he is not a scientist. He is not somebody who's like motivated by like using, you know, disciplined thought to Imperial uncover. data. Whenever he feels like he has an idea, mm-hmm. he's just like this fucking thing. And he is not going to let the data stand in his way. Right. That's that's that becomes clear. Who so, among us? Yeah. So so he <laughs> he does this study on the benefits of it. Um, when people we publishes this and people are like, wait, you're the only subject in this study. <laughs> Sounds like you just like cocaine. And he's like, um, well, yeah, I tested it on my colleagues. I gave them cocaine, too. <laughs> and he's like, what? Ooh. And, every, and all of his colleagues are like, he did not give us cocaine. And then he's like, okay, okay, so I didn't give it to anybody else. He, he retracts that, but he's like, but trust me, it's really good. Right. Um, turns out it's addictive. He try, like He tries to stop. He misses his supply for like two days and like has withdrawals and... All, right, almost dies, hates his life, and he's like, "Oh, interesting." Um, so he won't use cocaine again for a little while, and then he'll continue okay. using it on and off, like throughout <laughs> his life. Um, but so this is this is the model of the scientists we're looking at. Okay, keep this in mind as we explore his other um, discoveries. What could unquote. go wrong? Yes. Okay. So fresh off of publishing this cocaine paper, uh, he decides, you know, being a doctor is great, but I really want to go to this fellowship studying with hypnotists. Mm. Um, so stage hypnotism was like big in vogue mm-hmm. in, in Europe at the time. Yeah. And so he goes and he's finding people who are like getting hypnotized on stage and he like studies with these... Hip- now, these people were not like entertainer stage hypnotists. These were like medical quote-unquote hypnotists, right? Who were trying to like cure stuff. Mm. And so it was like in a medical school context and he's like studying with them. He finds one person, becomes his protege, kind of learns some stuff. Uh, takes it back with him after the three-month fellowship, and he, he, he decides, you know what's busted? Being a doctor, right? Mm. I'm going to go do mm. a private practice where I try to help people with their problems using hypnosis. Um, it's cocaine and hypnotism. I mean, yes, right? We're just mm, on the right foot. New band name, I call it. <laughs> so uh, his private practice is for nervous disorders, right? Uh, and essentially what that means is, like, you're only seeing rich people... And and mostly women at this point, right? Sure. Um, at this point, this is like 1886. Um, he resigns his private. He resigns his hospital position, and he marries his wife Martha. Okay. He starts seeing patients, and he's like nervous disorder. Come and see me, and he takes notes on them. And hit one of his first and will be one of his most famous case cases, which he later goes on to like publish in some form, uh, is Anna O. Okay. Uh, so Anna is 27. She basically started at the, like in her 20s to have weird issues where she couldn't speak her native language of German. Like she just lost the ability to speak, had partial paralysis in some parts of her body, had oh, facial no. pain. Yeah, like vision and hearing loss. Um, couldn't smell correctly or had like um, like smell things that weren't there. Um, amnesia, mood swings. Like this sounds more serious than like. The vapors. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, at the time, they're like, oh, okay, so it's not a physical infection, and we don't see anything mm-hmm. growing on you, so... Hysteria. You, you have hysteria, exactly. <laughs> right? Like, you just have woman troubles. Right. Um, hysteria, for our listeners who aren't familiar, uh, we know, like, people being called hysterical now means they're, like, crazy. But, like, at the time, there was this long history of medicine of saying, like, oh, is a woman, like, you know, in distress... 
it's because her uterus, like, or... Yeah, her wait. uterus has, like, detached and is floating about her body and at some point, like, is stuck on her brain. Yeah, and and it, it, it that's where the, it started, right? At this mm-hmm. point, they know enough about anatomy to know, like, her uterus right. isn't literally up at the brain. Right. But they're like, hist, like, hysterectomy is the same root word, like, hyster, would, I guess, would be the uterus root word. Mm-hmm. So, like, anyway, they're like, this is uterus troubles, clearly, that's causing all of these, like, <laughs> yeah. severe, severe symptoms. Right. Um, and Freud's like, don't worry. I've got you. You know what you need? Cocaine. Let's start with there. And then, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that's the first thing, which again, not the worst idea. Um, it's a pretty bad idea. Also, chlora, which is like the same, made in the same process as chloroform. Sure. Which is like a, kind of a morphine or opiate. Um, Sounds, I mean, it's a sedative for sure. It's pretty good. So, yeah, give it upper, downer, just a little mix, a little column A, a little column B. People have looked back on these case studies. This woman had real medical issues. So, like, the people are torn, like, depending on how you read the symptoms, it could either be tuberculosis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, could be uh, epilepsy, like, specifically this type called temporal lobe epilepsy, which causes wow. a lot of these symptoms. Um, but anyway, so they, they, they try the cocaine, uh, they try the morphine, um, and then at one point, so it's him and, and this other colleague he's working with, um, they decided, like, they literally just let the woman ramble. Eventually, they... Like, when she isn't in the mood to ramble, I start with, like, prompts. Like, tell me a story. Like, once there was a boy and what? And then they would just, like, let her talk and she would just, like, talk for hours. Mm. And somehow they become convinced that, like, this is actually making her better. Like, she's more right. grounded when she can just ramble on and talk. And she's saying some things that are nonsensical and some things that are part of her life. But It he... sounds like it might be the first time anyone has ever paid attention to her and is like, hey, tell me anything about yourself. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a real question about, like, if you're a woman who has no other options, like is being forced to like either marry somebody you don't want or do something like, yes, maybe just having somebody who listens to you talk. Part of it could be that clearly also had real symptoms, too. But oh, I'm saying this is a both hand. Yes. Yeah. Where they're like, wow, she's rambling and she's talking. And it makes her feel better. Like, oh, yeah, I bet that does make her feel bet better. It does. I bet it doesn't cure her epilepsy. Did not. Did but not I cure bet she also was depressed. Sure. I bet that felt good. Yeah. So they, they become convinced that this is the key. It is not clearing her, like, clearly based in physical disease symptoms, but sure. um, doesn't, again, does not keep Freud from claiming it's it's doing it, right? Like, he's, again, like, if he gets this idea, he just, like, runs with it and doesn't, doesn't let the data get in his way. Mm-hmm. Him and his colleague, they basically see this woman for a thousand hours over <gasps> two years. A thousand hours. That's, like, ten hours a week, right? Ten, imagine ten hours of therapy a week. No, I can barely handle one. Right? I mean, I like run out of things to talk about, especially now. I'm like, well, nothing's changed since last week. Nothing has occurred. (laughs) Um, A thousand hours in two years. And then at the end of this, they're like, okay, this woman is cured. And so they start working on like the papers, like their like notes in the journal for like this big paper they're going to publish, right? Sure. Immediately after stopping treatment, this woman is institutionalized again, clearly not cured. Just, you know, happy story. Eventually, like, goes on to live a happy, productive life. Actually, once she makes a full recovery later in life, she becomes a major campaigner for... She's, like, a noted social worker, Mm. um, becomes a major campaigner for women's rights. Actually has, like, a postage stamp in the country made with her image on it because of all of her contributions. It was kind of a scandal when it was discovered that she was the person in these notes because, like, she went on to be so good. What? Um, Did she... I mean, she just got legitimate treatment? Yeah, no, I mean, like, it seems to be, like, a lot of her symptoms, if it was, like, something like TV, like, resolve themselves. Mm, and so, Like tuberculosis. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but anyway, definitely not better when she left treatment with Freud. Like, no. much worse. Wow. Um, but, again, 
Her name was Bertha uh, Pappenheim. But Freud doesn't let the fact that she's like institutionalized right after this stop him. He's like, we cured her. And then he goes on for 10 years and like does the same process. Basically, at no point ever curing anybody. And like in his notes, it's hard to find anybody who he actually left who left better than they were before. Right. And like Um, the point of therapy is not to be cured. Well, but he wasn't doing therapy as we think of it today. Right. What he was doing was like he was having people who like had real physical manifestations of issues. Right. Got it. Um, Some psychological, some like real physical disorders. What we would think of as like neurological disorders now come to him. Depression, but also like hallucinations, all these things. And of the list of people, like the only two that in his notes like actually seem to leave cured at least one of them we know is totally like faked all of the mm. right so like it, there's maybe one case but anyway doesn't stop him he writes all these notes and he's like it, privately in his letters it comes out later that he's written he's like we're not here to help people get better he's like what we're doing is we're actually discovering like how the brain works how the mind works we're explorers we're like making discoveries but we're not actually helping anybody. Um, doesn't say that, though, right? In his published papers, he's very much like, we've discovered it. So he writes this paper in 1895, 10 years later, which is like the summary of this work uh, on the origin of hysteria. Okay. And uh, includes case studies of 18 patients, both male and female at this point. So hysteria okay. is a little less gendered of a term mm-hmm. to him in this sense. But his big breakthrough finding after 10 years, just quick content warning here. We're getting into some... Sexual abuse. Okay. Talk. Um, yes. Might yeah, want to skip. If you're sensitive to it, it would probably be good to what? Skip ahead five minutes? Yeah, let's say five minutes. Five minutes, yeah. He decides that the thing that all of these patients that had to ramble on the couch had in common is that they were, had, quote, infantile sex scenes forced on them by their family as infants. That's a bold statement. Yes. So every so he's like, of all the people I've had, everybody who came with hysteria was essentially raped as a baby. Oh, my God. By their family. Wow. Yes. Now, did this mean that everybody who had been to him for treatment had said that? No. No. No way. They had said things that he had interpreted as them deep somewhere in their brain trying to express this but can't. Okay. And sometimes he even said, like, it sounds like this happened to you because of based on this other unrelated thing you said. And mm. they said, no, that didn't happen to me. Oh, or, yeah. no, I don't think so. Sure. Uh, I'm sh- I don't want to discount. There might have been somebody who actually suffered real sexual abuse as a child in this group of people. Sure. But at least it is clear that. It's unlikely was, all 18 did. Unlikely all 18 did. But he was like 100% of people with hysteria, which, by the way, was a gigantic blanket term, right? Right. Just like anybody who has inconvenienced you with any sort of emotional outburst. Yes. We're we're raped as children by their families. Wow. Okay. So this is his paper. Again, it's kind of like on the same level as a cocaine paper. Still potentially doing cocaine during this time. Right. And he's like, this is the source of all mental illness. I've got it. It's a breakthrough. Uh, And in his letters back and forth with his collaborators, he's like, this is the thing that's going to make me a man of history now. It wasn't the cocaine paper, but this is the thing. I've like discovered this thing. Right. (laughs) Um. Sounds like if you're dealing with people who have experienced this trauma, your legacy is the least important part. Shut the fuck up, oh, but, Freud. But he's all about this legacy, right? This I mean, he... obviously. Okay. If so he... he, if his, if his uh, trial run is cocaine, yeah, right? <laughs> like you his know what's going. Draft is cocaine. It's looking paper. good from here on out. Exactly. Jesus. Okay. So he takes his paper out, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's like opportunity where you like read the paper in public and like do comments and stuff. Mm-hmm. He does it. Um, reads it to the other doctors. The responses. Not good. No, um, it could be. They yeah. are, the, the, 
they, they usually like have a little quick synopsis of the paper in like the journals where they publish a schedule of this. They don't, they don't even publish the synopsis. They're like afraid to, they're like, oh no. Um, his, his letters afterwards were like, uh, <laughs> he summed it up with, they can all go to hell. Oh. Yes. Yeah, this is everybody else's problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow. Yeah, kind of like devastated. Nobody took this seriously. Pretty quickly thereafter, he would stop taking it seriously too. But um, he's like shattered by the fact that like this was not his moment. Um, nobody believed him also because he presented like zero evidence that this was the case. He he would fabricate some data, but he, he still didn't even claim that like everybody said these things, right? Sure. So he was just like trying to pull straws together and his sloppiness came through in the research. Around this time, he has his sixth kid. Okay. He's got six children now during this 10-year period where he's doing research. Six um, kids in 10 years. Yeah. Six kids in 10 years. Yeah, big family. Wow. Um, but his, his wife's tired. Yeah. So his wife is tired. His wife has a sister and the sister's husband dies. So uh-huh. the wife now has like a widowed sister. Mm-hmm. And that widowed sister moves in with them, the family, Minna, Minna, Martha and Minna. Not good news. The same year, his Freud's father dies. Freud's defeated because his paper didn't get more accepted. By the way, if you Google this, so the thing, the thing that Freud called his 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 I've got I feel bad his baby rape theory basically. Okay. Right. The thing he called it was his child seduction theory. Oh. Yeah. No. So he's he's like five or six different words in German. You don't you don't want to Google that. No, no, you don't. That's what I feel. So he did not. He was not implying that like babies were seducing people or people were seducing babies. Any combination of those words will get the FBI knocking on your door. (laughs) Yes. Wow. That's so bad. Yes, but so okay. So so I. You can't just add theory to any combination of the worst possible scenario. Yes. There's like six German words that seduction is the one I guess like for whatever reason he thought was like the most palatable way to talk about this horrific idea um, fresh off the the total like uh, rejection of his child seduction theory okay his father dies mm. and so so one two punch yeah right. really talk fucked about. up Gandhi too yes yes it did um, so he's like okay <sighs> what am I going to do I'm going to do some self exploration here right mm-hmm. he's like digging deep trying to figure out where he went wrong why aren't people like recognizing his genius and he realizes like okay Maybe it wasn't seduction. Maybe these babies only wanted the sex, but it never occurred to actually happen with them. That's so terrible also. That's I know. not someone, any better. Someone. That, like, let's just pause. Like, before, neither of those are palatable scenarios. No. <laughs> By the way, there's no science here. There's no, like, brain science. There's no, like, collection of data. But he, like, comes to the idea, like, okay, so... So I think the so he literally thinks like okay even though these people said these things that convinced me that they secretly deep down had this happen to them as infants I think actually what happened is they were lying to me or confused by their statements because what they they just they had quote unquote infantile wish fantasies has he met a baby I know like who's got baby fantasies really yeah these babies wait who looks at the at an infant and is like this kid. What is it about his self-reflection that leads him here? Well, one, he writes in his in his big book to come out after this, I have found that in my own case, too, the phenomenon of being in love with my mother and jealous of my father, and now I consider it a universal event in mm. early childhood, even if not so early as children who have been made hysterical. He basically says, if I dig down deep enough, I realize I wanted to have sex with my mother, too. So clearly... <laughs> Clearly, this is his sentence, right? I now and so now I consider it a universal event in early childhood. The narcissism that 
that Freud brings to his work is so dangerous. It's striking. Just like, I experience life this way, so everyone must experience life this way. Yes, yes. And again, it is the idea that comes first. Sure. Clearly narcissistic. And then after that, data be damned, right? Like, right, right. Doesn't just, matter. He's just like, I'm going to, sounds like a good idea. I'm going to run Confirmation with this. bias. He just pulls the data that makes sense. Yes. So he's like, okay, so I clearly as an infant and a baby want to have sex with my mother. For his father, he's like, what's my relationship with my father? He's like, well, he remembers this time that his father had scolded him because Freud went in and intentionally urinated in his parents' bedroom. And his father said, there will come nothing of this boy. And that like was a big moment where he's like, my father said I'd be nothing. I hate him. Instead, I want to have sex with my mom. And so, therefore, QED, the proof shows everyone in the world wants to have sex with their mother and kill their father. Every man, at least. And so, there's, we have the premise for his next big book. There's so much in that story. Yeah. I mean, like, this is the thing. When people hear, at this point, it's almost normalized. So, of course, this becomes called the Oedipal Complex. Sure. Named after this Greek uh, tragedy, Oedipus Rex. Right. Where Oedipus, this king, basically is as separated as a child. Um, right, he accidentally, accidentally kills his father. Accidentally, well, so kills his father, accidentally sleeps with his mother without sure. knowing it's his mother. Yes, it's so it's like, but so, it's but, just happen, like coincidental yeah. versus it being this like longing. Yeah, it's a, it's a tragedy because like Oedipus's follies like end up, it put him in this like terrible situation at the end yes. where he's like tricked into basically sleeping with the mom. But Freud, right, like so Freud calls it this Oedipal complex, but like he comes up with this idea one, independent of data. It's not like he's like being drawn to this. He, like, he, he thinks this up, decides it's universal, right? Is he and, just like eyeballing all his sons at this point? I mean, he's like, the I fuck don't is know. Up right? with like, who's kids? coming for me, right? Right. <laughs> he has six kids. <sighs> the other thing like, that's insane to me is like, if you say edible complex now, like in society, like mm-hmm. the shockingness of that is kind of like worn off because it's a very, like people, you hear that edible complex. But like the fact that like he came up with this. And just, like, put it out there as, like, the fundamental way babies are. I mean, if this were, if he were alive currently, this is the plot of some weird fucking Reddit fanfic. This is the plot of some Hannibal Lecter shit, right? <laughs> like, it's just really, it's a lot. It's a lot to have shaped modern psychiatry. Yeah, to have shaped a field, right? Mm-hmm. But if there's nothing that we haven't learned or that we have learned from this podcast, it's that you can be totally wrong. You don't even have to be successful. You don't even have to be right in your field of study or your fear, field of spirituality or whatever you do. You just have to be like very loud. Loud and confident. That's and really confident. what it takes. Yes. It's a pattern. It, hel- it really helps if you're a white guy, a white dude. It really helps. It also helps if like there's only one or two forms of media that yeah. you can can then get in front of. It's true. And it really helps if you're shocking. So he writes this, writes a book, calls it On Dreams. The other bigger premise is like dreams are an important like surfacing of all these subconscious desires that are like trying to escape at your brain, trying to make sense of them. So there's more to it than just the Oedipus complex. They print 600 copies. They do not sell out. Nestle for many years was not a success. People did not buy into this. Around a few years later, by 1902, an ex-patient of his, who's very wealthy, again, like working with socialites, reads the book, loves it, convinces the University of Vienna to basically make him a professor, quote unquote. It's like an honorary professor. of science. So he's like, comes with no pay. He okay. teaches no classes. Okay. But finally he like gets this. He's got a book. And he's got this this position that like gives him mm-hmm. some credibility where like he's no longer the guy that they all just made fun of for saying that it was 
baby sex was the root of everything. Like now he's like a professor. Wow. Yeah. That's all it takes. So he starts giving, so he also gets to give like a lecture once a month or something. And so okay. he has like this little discussion group at his house with like five people afterwards. And he starts to like assemble this group of people around him, like this small trickle of followers. And basically the story of the next few years is like, he starts to assemble not just like small followers in his area, but like slowly people across the world like read his book and like are interested in like hearing more from this guy. Like, ooh, tell me mm. about the so subconscious. Early 20th century viral. Yeah, yeah, which is very slow at the time if you're not an actual virus. <laughs> sure. If you're an actual virus, it turns out much faster. But <laughs> viral in terms of media at the time, yes. very slow. So, like, a few years later, 1905, he's writing. Just This is another fun side note. Like, uh, he's writing about, um, he, he makes this interesting observation slash theory that vaginal orgasms are separate from clitoral orgasms. And then decides that... Uh, Upon reaching puberty, the proper response of a mature woman is to change over from clitoral orgasms to vaginal orgasms. And that if you were actually a, a mature woman, you should stop touching your clitoris ever again. I'm learning a lot about his wife right now. Yeah, right. So like, that tells you a lot about his sex life. Woof. Uh, he said, so, <laughs> yeah, again, let's be clear. There's no evidence. There's no observation here, right? Like, Yeah, also... Who are you to have any opinion about this, Freud? What yeah. the fuck? How did you go he's from the... eel gonads to this? <laughs> this is explorer of the subconscious, and he just decides that that's not two... your subconscious. No, but that's he decides bits. you cannot have women should not touch their clitoris after they're teenagers. Um, needless to say, he in the future goes on the record saying, and this is a quote: "The great question that has never been answered." The great question which has never been answered, mm. and which I have not yet been able to answer, despite my thirty years of research into the feminine soul is, quote, what does a woman want? End quote. That's very obvious. Yeah, I mean, he has <laughs> no idea. He's admitting. He, he's just making shit up. He's like, he's like, I don't think you should ever touch your clitters again. Also, I have no idea what you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is like, after the baby sex stuff, this is like the next big, like, area, like, he's just exploring and like making shit up as he goes. Again, it's not like he had some bad data at the time, like they sure. didn't have good tools. He's just making this up because he's deciding that this is how brains work and then just seeing what sticks. Do you feel like if you could walk out onto the street right now and you're like, tell me everything you know about Freud, any of this would come up? Oh, no, absolutely not. None, no. right? But and this is like a huge body of his work. I will tell you, right? There's a big, like the reason we don't think of all of this shit as Freud is because of some very... Again, deliberate work that people did to make sure this is not what you think of when you think of Freud. Yes. Um, yeah, you've got that cleanup crew. Yes. Gandhi that had it. Crew. Teresa had Mother this Teresa. This is what I'm what I'm realizing now is if if you want to be recorded in history, you you have to just like make a concerted effort to get people who are like gonna dedicate their lives to just faking all the shit that you screwed up, taking all the bad stuff out, like suing people for saying stuff that's yes. true about you that doesn't sound good, and just like trying to pretend that you were something you actually weren't because the real people were not were not at all what you think no it's now the beginning of the 1900s 20th century he's like making shit up and got small you know gathering of followers at this point he he's invented the word psychoanalysis okay which is not his medical practice he has a medical degree but it's not like it didn't exist as a discipline right so like it's just a thing that people do where they have you talk a lot kind of um, like cryptocurrency bitcoin <laughs> you just make stuff up yeah just make your own there with you confidence and ta-da see if people buy it world war one comes around his sons go off to war two of them do he has very few patients right so he's kind of like 
scraping by here in Austria trying to see people, but he's not like internationally renowned yet, but psychoanalysts start to like make their ways into the military to help with like the war propaganda efforts and stuff. And so as a field, people sort of be like, oh, somebody who's like doing brain doctory stuff, like, oh, maybe this is like a real thing. And so by the end of the war, economy is totally collapsed, like 1919, but he has a lot more name recognition because all these people who had been working in the military are like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, you should read this book by this guy, Freud. End of the war, his wife gets pneumonia, ends up going to a sanatorium. To celebrate the end of the war, he goes off to a big spa and, of course, brings his wife's sister, Minna, who's been living with them. Turns out they're having an affair for years, like, just totally... Yeah, screwing on the side because he would never touch his wife's clitoris, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but maybe that's why she's, quote unquote, has pneumonia. Yeah, exactly. Right? She's like, get, get him out of my face. Um, <laughs> not a great husband. Uh, writing books. He Around this time, 1920s, he's coming up with his idea of the id, ego, and superego. Mm-hmm. So people know about, Freud probably know about this, right? But he's basically saying that you have different parts of your brain that want different things. Part of it just wants like yeah. what's Picture selfish. Yeah, it like it's an iceberg. Exactly, right? You, layers, right? You have mm-hmm. parts of your brain that just want the things that are like most selfish at the core, but some want the high-minded things, right? Mm-hmm. 1923, he gets his first mouth cancer. So turns out he's been smoking, mm. and he was smoking cigars and doing cocaine. When he was smoking, though, he, he basically worked himself up where he was smoking roughly 20 cigars a day. Oh, so he's on the John Wayne nicotine diet. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> honestly, I don't even know if John Wayne was at 20 cigars a day. He was at six packs. I don't I don't know the conversion. It's like 100 the, cigarettes. The conversion rate of, like... <laughs> I don't know. I would say five cigarettes to a cigar. I, Listen... I don't want to do this math, but yes. In today's money. That's in today's how many cigars. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so he's smoking 20 cigars a day at, at points. Um, Yikes. And gets mouth 20, cancer. 20 cigars a day. It takes a long time to smoke a cigar. Yeah. like you have to, That's like back-to-back cigars all day, every day. Just For years. Just, there's just like a damp end of a cigar in your mouth all day. Ugh. Yes. By the way, it turns out Freud probably never said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Uh, okay, yes. There's this whole thing where, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. is it about a penis? Right, right. You know, anyway. Well, of course he would say that. Yeah. But, you know, he also had one in his mouth. All, all, all day. day. <laughs> yes, so. exactly. So anyway, he's got mouth cancer, uh, gets some surgery, basically has his whole jaw removed because he's got cancer all through his jaw. Oh, For the rest of his shit. life, he ends up wearing, that like, these... Early is, 20th century jaw removal. That... <laughs> you know, oh, be no. good. It's not. It's not good. Um, you know what would help? What? Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> Make it better. By the way, end of his life, starts using cocaine pretty oh, thoroughly again. God. Um, so yeah, so he gets the bottom, his whole jaw removed, parts of his palate. Through the end of his life, he lives for maybe another like 13 years, 15 years. 15 years. Imagine 15 more years. Wow. He's going to have like 33 more surgeries. Basically just because like cancer just keeps showing up. Uh, he does not stop smoking. He smokes the whole time. So that's why cancer keeps showing up. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, his daughter, Anna Freud, becomes mm-hmm. his like nurse and his companion during this. Uh, mm-hmm. And they become very close. She goes on to become an accomplished psychoanalyst in her own right. Yes. Uh, but also the keeper of his legacy. Mm. Um, 1938, he escapes from Austria, escapes the Nazis in London. The Nazis have been burning his books for many years. Uh, but they finally get there. They like capture Anna one day and like question her and he's like oh, oh we gotta God. get out of here so they get Anna and then they get the whole family out to London it's 1939 at this point 
doctors tell me he has yet another growth in his mouth, another mouth cancer, but they can't operate on this one. And as soon as it's inoperable, it's conflicting accounts. But basically, I mean, you only have so much jaw. Yes. You can only take off so much of your mouth. Yeah. At this point, they're like, there's nothing else we can do. And, And it seems like some accounts say he basically just asks the doctors for a lethal dose of morphine and maybe commits a physician assisted suicide. Or mm. dies by. He, he couldn't even get his own morphine at that point. Seems yeah. like he had the hookup. He had the hookup for, for his cocaine. Whole life. Turns out he did not want to die by cocaine overdose, which would be. Oh my god, no. No, but morphine, how he dies. Wow. So as historians have started to dig into Freud's legacy, uh, Anna becomes the keeper of his papers. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of editing. Most of his stuff does not make it out. They're very, very careful about how they curate right. and shape his image because clearly, anybody who starts their career, you know, with like. Baby sex is... I mean, picture this. Picture this. Your dad dies, and you get access to his hard drive. And what you find (laughs) is a coked-out blog about the benefits of cocaine and and him wanting to fuck his mom. You would be like, well, that's not going to make it into the permanent collection. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. Delete, delete, delete. Yeah. Um, There's some records that they, they seal. They keep, but they seal until, like, 200 years after he's dead. Okay. Which, well, that's not now. Not now. Still haven't Mm-mm. seen those. Yeah, basically, all the historians who like start to get access to this at all, some of them start to get access, and then once they realize what's in there, they ask the family about it, and the family just shuts them off immediately. Um, they said things like, Freud's case histories are rampant with censorship, distortions, highly dubious reconstructions, exaggerated claims. The destruction of history was basically an essential part of becoming and remaining a great hero in the eyes of posterity. They said Freud actively cultivated this unknowable air about himself to set himself apart. It was this struggle because that was clearly a total fabrication. Okay, so if you're like me at this point, after the briefest of examinations of Freud's life, Mm -hmm. my biggest question is, why the hell does anyone even like talk about taking this guy seriously at this point? Here's, here's what I can tell. The main things it seems like he actually con- contributed in some sense, mm-hmm. not purposely. This is, this is what he think, it's not what he thought his contributions were, but the things that like lived on from his work. One, the idea that there are unconscious like mental processes that affect our lives. True. That ended up being true. Yes. Right? Um, it was kind of a guess on his point. But he was also influenced by these other German philosophers who were writing about, like, the unconscious is a thing that, like, we can yeah. explore. And so he really popularized that. We still believe that. We know I mean, it's like, true. later in his career, right, there's, like, Jungian principles starting to come come into play. So Jung was a direct student of his. Right. Yeah. Right, at the turn of the but century. Who, a direct student who actually, like, got a few more things right. Yes. Jung, who, who used science also. Jung brought a lot more discipline to a lot of his early yeah. ideas. Uh, it turns out that a lot of times when students would disagree with him, Freud would ignore them. They would go off, start their own stuff, become popular, and then Freud would start to incorporate whatever was popular about his students' yeah. ideas. Again, taking credit for it. Totally. Um, the other parts of this, he he was right that we have conflicting motivations. We don't actually have an id and an ego and a superego as like separate parts of our brain or anything, but like sure. we have different motivations in our lives that like struggle to like sometimes make the right decision. Yes. Um, Later, someone would, or around that time, that would be like classified as like. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes, Maslow's work, interesting, comes much later, like 30, 30, 30 40, into the 60s. I'm reading a book sure. about Maslow right now, actually. Oh. Um, but well, He's a scammer, too. We should have him on the podcast. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing that really stood out about his work, um, Freud was right in the sense that he was the first person to suggest that like, childhood shapes our personalities and relationships, mm-hmm. which it certainly does. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, 
not because of our infants, our sex fantasies as infants. But but if you just kind of blur that, squint your eyes back up a little bit and say like, oh, well. Attachment theory. Yeah, he was saying like what happens to you as a baby matters. Then, yeah, I guess that is another lasting contribution. But frankly, somebody who like gets it that wrong, like that severely and gives that little of a fuck about the actual reality of yeah. the science. Um, I mean, the cult of celebrity is real. It's true. It's right? true. It was a concerted effort by his daughter specifically, and then a lot of the people that followed him to like turn him into this heroic figure. And uh, he was he was definitely not a hero. Wow. Okay. Definitely not a hero. But we are. So where can people find us? <laughs> <laughs> You'd like to get to know us. We're doing the heroic work of yes. a short form book report every single week yeah you can get to know us and uh, follow our posthumous uh, glorification mm-hmm. on our website mm-hmm. meetyourheroespodcast.com sure at your heroes pod on instagram twitter facebook social goosh and woof <laughs> all of them yes we're not on the snapchat or the tiktok because that would be embarrassing but you can find us other places. Tell your friends. Um, that would be really great. Yeah. And until next week. Uh, don't be a hero. Never be a hero. Bye. What did you say about your brother? Bye.